Chapter 1-2 of Book 7 of Les Miserables, Volume 3, by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cagliostro. Les Miserables, Volume 3, by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book 7. Patron Minette. Chapter 1. Minds and Minors Human societies all have what is called, in theatrical parlance, a third lower floor. The social soil is everywhere undermined, sometimes for good, sometimes for evil. These works are superposed one upon the other. There are superior minds and inferior minds. There is a top and a bottom in this obscure subsoil, which sometimes give way beneath civilization, and which our indifference and heedlessness trample under foot. The encyclopedia in the last century was a mine that was almost open to the sky. The shades, those sombre hatches of primitive Christianity, only awaited an opportunity to bring about an explosion under the Caesars and to inundate the human race with light. For in the sacred shadows there lies latent light. Volcanoes are full of a shadow that is capable of flashing forth. Every form begins by being night. The catacombs in which the first mask was set, were not alone the cellar of Rome. They were the faults of the world. Beneath the social construction, that complicated marvel of a structure, there are excavations of all sorts. There is the religious mind, the philosophical mind, the economic mind, the revolutionary mind, such and such a pickaxe with the idea, such a pick with ciphers, such another with wrath. People hail and answer each other from one catacomb to another. Utopias travel about underground in the pipes. There they branch out in every direction. They sometimes meet and fraternize there. Jean-Jacques lends his pick to Diogenes, who lends him his lantern. Sometimes they enter into combat there. Calvin seizes Socinus by the hair. But nothing arrests nor interrupts the tension of all these energies towards the goal and the vast simultaneous activity, which goes and comes, mounts, descends, and mounts again in these obscurities, and which immense unknown swarming slowly transforms the top and the bottom, and the inside and the outside. Societies hardly even suspects this digging which leaves its surface intact and changes its bowels. There are as many different subterranean stages as there are varying works as there are extractions. What emerges from these deep excavations? 
the future. The deeper one goes, the more mysterious are the toilers. The work is good, up to a degree which the social philosophies are able to recognize. Beyond that degree, it is doubtful and mixed. Lower down, it becomes terrible. At a certain depth, the excavations are no longer penetrable by the spirit of civilization. The limit breathable by man has been passed. A beginning of monsters is possible. The descending scale is a strange one, and each one of the rungs of this ladder corresponds to a stage where philosophy can find foothold, and where one encounters one of these workmen, sometimes divine, sometimes misshapen. Below John Huss there is Luther, below Luther there is Descartes, below Descartes there is Voltaire, below Voltaire there is Condorcet, below Condorcet there is Robespierre, below Robespierre there is Marat, below Marat there is Babeuf, and so it goes on. Lower down, confusedly, at the limit which separates the indistinct from the invisible, one perceives other gloomy men, who perhaps do not exist as yet. The men of yesterday are spectres. Those of tomorrow are forms. The eye of the spirit distinguishes them, but obscurely. The embryonic work of the future is one of the visions of philosophy. The world in limbo and the state of fetus. What an unheard-of spectre. Saint-Simon, Owen, Fourier are there also, in lateral galleries. Surely, although a divine and invisible chain unknown to themselves binds together all these subterranean pioneers who almost always think themselves isolated, and who are not so, their works vary greatly, and the light of some contrast with the blaze of others. The first are paradisiacal, the last are tragic. Nevertheless, whatever may be the contrast, all these toilers, from the highest to the most nocturnal, from the wisest to the most foolish, possess one likeness, and this is it, disinterestedness. Marat forgets himself like Jesus. They throw themselves on one side, they omit themselves, they think not of themselves. They have a glance, and that glance seeks the absolute. The first has a whole heavens in his eyes. The last, enigmatical though he may be, has still beneath his eyelids the pale beam of the infinite. Venerate the man, whoever he may be, who has this sign, the starry eye. The shadowy eye is the other side. With it, evil commences. Reflect and tremble in the presence of anyone who has no glance at all. The social order has its black liners. There is a point where depth is tantamount to burial and where light becomes extinct. Below all these minds, which we have just mentioned, 
below all these galleries, below this whole immense subterranean Venus system of progress and utopia, much further on in the earth, much lower than Moha, lower than Babaf, lower, much lower, and without any connection with the upper levels, there lies the last mine, a formidable spot. This is what we have designated as the Le Troisième Dessous. It is the grave of shadows. It is the cellar of the blind. Inferi. This communicates with the abyss. Chapter 2 The Lowest Depth. There, disinterestedness vanishes. The demon is vaguely outlined. Each one is for himself. The eye in the eyes holds, seeks, fumbles, ignores. The social Ugolino is in this gulf. The wild spectres who roam in this grave, almost beasts, almost phantoms, are not occupied with universal progress. They are ignorant both of the idea and of the word. They take no thought for anything but the satisfaction of their individual desires. They are almost unconscious, and there exists within them a sort of terrible obliteration. They have two mothers, both stepmothers, ignorance and misery. They have a guide, necessity, and for all forms of satisfaction, appetite. They are brutally voracious, and that is to say, ferocious, not after the fashion of the tyrant, but after the fashion of the tiger. From suffering these spectres pass to crime, fatal affiliation, dizzy creation, logic of darkness. That which crawls in the social third lower level is no longer complained, stifled by the absolute. It is the protest of matter. Man there becomes a dragon. To be hungry, to be thirsty, that is the point of departure. To be Satan, that is the point reached. From that vault, Lassenaire emerges. We have just seen, in Book Fourth, one of the compartments of the upper mind, of the great political, revolutionary and philosophical excavation. There, as we have just said, all is pure, noble, dignified, honest. There, assuredly, one might be misled, but error is worthy of veneration there. So thoroughly does it imply heroism. The work there effected, taken as a whole, has a name. Progress. The moment has now come when we must take a look at other depth. Hideous depth. There exists beneath society. We insist upon this point, And there will exist until that day when ignorance shall be dissipated. The great cavern of evil. 
This cavern is below all and is the foe of all. It is hatred without exception. This cavern knows no philosophers. Its daggers have never cut a pen. Its blackness has no connection with the sublime blackness of the inkstand. Never have the fingers of night, which contract beneath the stifling ceiling, turned the leaves of a book, nor enfolded a newspaper. Babeuf is a speculator to Cartouche. Marat is an aristocrat to Shindahannes. This cavern has for its object the destruction of everything. Of everything including the upper superior minds which it execrates. It not only undermines, in its hideous swarming, the actual social order, it undermines philosophy, it undermines human thought, it undermines civilization, it undermines revolution, it undermines progress. Its name is simply theft, prostitution, murder, assassination. It is darkness and it desires chaos. Its vault is formed of ignorance. All the others, those above it, have but one object, to suppress it. It is to this point that philosophy and progress tend, with all their organs simultaneously, by their amelioration of the real, as well as by their contemplation of the Absolute. Destroy the cavern ignorance, and you destroy the lair crime. Let us condense, in a few words, a part of what we have just written. The only social peril is darkness. Humanity is identity. All men are made of the same clay. There is no difference here below at least in predestination, the same shadow in front, the same flesh in the present, the same ashes afterwards. But ignorance, mingled with a human paste, blackens it. This incurable blackness takes position of the interior of a man and is there converted into evil. End of Book 7 Chapter 1 and 2 Recording by Cagliostro